2008 World Champions of Baseball. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. It's Wednesday, December 5th, 2018. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, before we get started, we have to, again, thank the good people at the Red Lantern Tavern over in Falkroft, PA, for hosting our first ever live show. It was a blast. And, of course, we couldn't have done it without Fred Hugo. Yeah, we had a good time, and there were lots of great Philly sports fans there. And, yes, as you said, the guys at the Lantern, Chris, Mike, and Joe, they were awesome. They took great care of us. And, hey, who knew Fred knew all that technical stuff? He had all the technical skills with the audio crap. You know, way to go, Fred Hugo. Yeah, you know, we'll have to give Fred the business because he's doing better with the technical stuff than he is with his picks. (laughs) Well, we can't really (laughs) complain. I mean, we're not doing that hot either, so. No, no, absolutely not. Wait, we've got plenty to talk about tonight, Chet. We have from The Athletic, Flyers beat writer Charlie O'Connor will be joining us. You think he has much to talk about? We also have from The Athletic, Phillies reporter Megan Montemoro, and we've had Megan before. She's great. The Eagles won. It's Dallas week. The Sixers won. There's a lot going on. And can you get those dogs to sing a version of Jingle Bells? I love hearing that every year with the barking dogs. You know, that's just they great. They are stuff. practicing in the background over in the other room. They're, they're, they're excited about the show. They're they excited. are, and they're getting ready for uh, in a couple weeks. You know, we'll have them ready to go and uh, ready to sing Christmas carols. Awesome. I love it. This is really a crazy busy time, though, Bill, as you said. We have three teams in season, the Eagles fighting for their playoff lives, the Sixers are hot and moving up in the standings, plus, of course, the Fultz saga dragging on. And the Flyers announced some new hires. And then the one not in season team, the Phillies, made a major trade on Monday, and they're still working on a couple other huge moves. So, yeah, lots going on. Hey, I wanted to ask you, in addition to our event at the Red Lantern, how do you enjoy the rest of your time up in southeastern Pennsylvania? Well, I, I had a great time. Got to visit with my mom for about five days, which was is always great. And uh, went to the Philly show, and which is good. Got to see my memorabilia, Raz Room buddies. And, uh, of course, the topped off with uh, Sunday's live show was really awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. So hopefully we get to do that again. But, hey, we also we have a minute before Charlie joins us close to 7.05 and. uh I wanted to remind you, Chet, for still another year, however many years we've been doing this now, I think four, uh, it's Army-Navy week, and you need to get to that game. (laughs) You tell me that every year, and, you know, maybe after I retire in a few years, I'll get there. By the way, I see Army's a touchdown favorite this weekend, and uh, number 45 will be there, and by that I mean President Trump will be in Philadelphia. Yeah, interestingly enough, you know, Navy was on a run and won, I don't know what it was, it was a ton in a row, nine or ten or something like it's never happened before. And uh, But it's changed. The, the, the cadets are back, and they've got a good football team. They won last year, and there's a real good chance they're going to win this year. But, you know, the records go away when uh, when those two meet. It is a fantastic event, and you need to get to it. All right, one of these years. It's on my list, yep. on my list. All right. Okay, well, hey, as we said, uh, Jet, there has been a lot of headli- headlines this week, but none more than the Flyers, who now have a new general manager in Chuck Fletcher. They have a new coach in Rick Wilson. Uh, the goaltending situation, your favorite topic, we'll get to mm-hmm. talk about. Let's let's see if we can make sense of it all with the Flyers beat writer for the Athletic, Charlie O'Connor. Charlie, welcome to your first visit to Philly Press Box Radio. It's good. To, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Charlie. This is Chet, the other guy that you just heard, as we sometimes call him, the other guy, Bill. And we certainly have plenty to talk to you about. I mean, first off, it was, I guess, nine days ago that the news broke that Ron Hextall was out as GM. In the days ahead, there were the various stories about Hextall being a real micromanager and that he had Gordy Murphy hired as you know, some sort of a spy, that everything had to be done the Hextall way or there'd be hell to pay. Was that the case? There's definitely truth to the, to the rumors and the reports, absolutely. Uh, but I think the one thing you definitely have to, have to you know, take note of and account for is that, you know, 
when someone gets let go, the people who are talking out against him, speaking out against him, are the people that didn't like him. And, and Hexall certainly had had you know enemies he made in that uh, that front office, and those are the people that are obviously going to be you know talking him down now that he's gone. Um, by the same token, yeah, you know Hexall definitely he kept a very very tight circle, and there were a lot of people in the front office who felt left out of the decision making process. That's something that you know isn't necessarily. In past Flyers regimes, that wasn't the case. So this was a new issue under under Hextall. Uh, and then there were alumni that felt like they were getting frozen out and not being treated with the same, you know, family type approach that uh, that past uh, past general managers had done. So yeah, the, the stuff was was true. But at this, by the same time, at the same time, you know, if the team, if the Flyers were winning, and if the, and if the team was doing well. I don't think these would have been big issues because the way I, I, I kind of describe it is this. If, if you're going to, if you're going to make changes to the core essence of, you know, of an organization where you're talking about sports, but even, you know, in, in any workplace, if you're going to come in and you're going to change the, the nature, the core nature of a place, it better work. The, the results better be there because if they're not there, everybody's just going to start grumbling and wondering why we bother to make all these changes when we're not seeing the, the return on investment anyway. So I, I think it would have been okay if the Flyers were winning, but the fact that they weren't just allowed everyone who already thought a lot of these changes weren't for the better. It allowed them kind of to just decide that not only were these changes not helping, they're actually the reason why we're, we're not succeeding. And therefore Ron Hextall has to go in order for us to get back to the, the way things used to be, the old Flyers way. Interesting. Well, Charlie, one of the things that I found really, uh, really interesting in some of the reports was that Hextall actually had Hextall somewhat handcuffed. And even to the point that the players were a bit handcuffed, that, I guess my question to you is, is Hacksaw going to be safe, at least for a little while, and can we expect better results on the ice? I mean, that's the key. I, I'm not sure how much I, I buy those those reports. It, I do think that, that Hextall had some input, and you know maybe the the overall atmosphere may have contributed to uh, you know to some of the you know maybe the, like the lack of fun and kind of the structure. You know maybe the, the players will benefit from a little bit more freedom and at least the feeling of freedom. But I, I don't think that I don't think Hextall was you know the the decisions he was making on a game to game basis. I don't think they were driven necessarily by Hextall. Like, Ever since Hexall's been fired, Hexall's still pretty much running his lines and, and, and is doing his player usage pretty much the same way he did before, you know, before uh, when you know while Hexall was in there. So I don't think that was a driving force. But as for as for Hexall's status, I think the new guy Chuck Fletcher, I think he's going to give him a give him a real shot. I think he's going to, you know, take take some time to evaluate his view of uh, of Dave Hexall, the coach. You know, whether that's a couple weeks, whether that's a couple months. It depends on how well the team's doing. But I, I don't think Dave Haxel is going to be fired immediately by any means. I think he's going to get a real, a, a fair shot to show what he can do as coach of Philadelphia Flyers to his new boss. Uh, but, but don't get me wrong, his new boss is going to need to see results because his new boss, Chuck Fletcher, he's not, he doesn't have the same loyalty. To, uh, to Dave Haxel that obviously Ron Haxel did. You know, Chuck Fletcher didn't hire Dave Haxel. Chuck Fletcher may know him, but doesn't have that same personal loyalty. So the Flyers are going to need to win, and they're going to need to win quite a lot for uh, for Dave Haxel to, to prove to, to the new guy that he deserves to, to stay coach of the Flyers for an extended period of time. But I think it's fair to give him that opportunity and, and see what he can do uh, you know, in this new environment. Uh, maybe after a couple moves are made, because I know Fletcher is probably going to make you know put his stamp on on this roster in the near future, and and see if what Hackstall can do with it. But I, I don't think that I don't think Hackstall is is you know I don't think he has the sword hanging over his head in the sense that it's going to fall on him in the next couple of days. But he needs to produce results, and he needs to produce results quickly. All right, so the new GM, Chuck Fletcher, we know he's the son of longtime hockey executive Cliff Fletcher. We know he was the GM in the Minnesota Wild the past nine years. For people who didn't read your story in The Athletic, what can we expect from Chuck Fletcher? I believe he used the phrase controlled aggressiveness. Well, I, yeah, I, I think that's probably the hope. I, I think the the ideal would be somewhere in between the uh, – 
the aggressive the, the aggressiveness at all costs uh, of the Paul Holmgren era, and then the patience to a fault from from Ron Hextall. I think if you can find a guy who can kind of kind of split the difference between the two, you might really have something. And the hope, you know, obviously the fans are hoping, but obviously you know Paul Holmgren, the team president, and Dave Scott from from Comcast, they're hoping that the Chuck Fletcher can be that guy who can kind of carve out that third path. Uh, based on what he did in Minnesota, I actually I, I think there are some similarities between him and Hextall in terms of, of identifying a young core and trusting it and, and doing everything you can to keep it. But Fletcher is a bit more aggressive in terms of making trades, uh, making additions to trade deadlines when he thinks his team's a playoff team. He's more willing to make moves. So the ideal is that he's somewhere in between Holmgren and Hextall. The I guess the, the worst-case scenario is that he picks the wrong guys and the wrong prospects and the wrong picks to trade, and then the whole thing kind of collapses in on itself. But that's far from a guarantee. He very well could be that, uh, that middle ground between, uh, between Paul Holmgren, GM, and Ron Hextall, GM. And Charlie, I guess it's hard to look at this first quarter of the season, to me, and figure out exactly where the problem lies. Sometimes we can't score goals. Sometimes we can't stop goals. Um, Gordon Murphy's out. Rick Wilson's in. Can we expect to see a lot of changes or a lot of improvement on the blue line? And, and what's going to happen with the goaltending? I mean, talking about the blue line, I think the biggest improvement that needs to happen is Ivan Provorov and Shane Goss's bear need to, to rediscover their A games because you, know, you can you can criticize the the depth and you can say that you know Andrew McDonald and Robert Haig aren't really top four quality defensemen. Uh, Haig maybe could develop into that, but I don't think he's there yet. Uh, and that's fair. But the hard truth is, is that the Flyers have two really good defensemen in Proveroff and Gossespierre who are not playing like really good defensemen. And that's going to be the first thing that, that Wilson's got to do. He's got to figure out how to get the most out of those guys, get them playing the way they were playing last year when they look like one of the best defensive pairings in, in the NHL. Can he do that? He certainly has the experience. You know, this is a guy who's coached, Coaching the NHL for 30 years, he's you know he's developed Darian Hatcher, Daryl Sador, the entire Minnesota blue line. Like he's he's a smart guy, he's a hockey lifer, and and he certainly has the ability to to, to get more out of Perov and Gossespierre. It just comes down to whether he can do it. As for the goaltending, you know, it's kind of being held together with uh, with duct tape right now. Anthony Stolarz had a couple of good games, but you don't know how long that's going to last. Michael Neuvert is technically back, but He's never. I don't feel like Michael Neuvert is never fully healthy. He's always a threat to get injured. And Brian Elliott's practicing, but he's still called week to week. So I think if there's a if there's a move that Fletcher is going to make quickly, I think it probably is one that addresses the goaltending because they know that you know, the Flyers have the worst have the worst save percentage in uh, in hockey right now, and you're you're not going to make the playoffs with the worst save percentage in hockey. So. If Fletcher makes a, a quick move, I think it's probably one that addresses the goaltending and at least tries to solidify that in the short term so that it's not so much of a dumpster fire. Yeah, goaltending is always a hot topic here with us, Charlie. The Flyers used five of them in the first quarter of the season, which is kind of crazy. So when Elliott's healthy, is he the guy? Is he the short-term answer, barring a trade? And i got to ask, how soon till we see Carter Hart up at the big club? I, I think Elliott's the best goalie right now they have in the organization. And obviously there's concerns about him with regards to injuries because he did have two surgeries this year. He's 33 years old. You know, is he ever going to be able to stay healthy for an extended period of time now in the wake of those surgeries? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe so. We'll have to play it out. But I think Elliott actually this year has been pretty good. Uh, I think in the first couple games of the year, it was less that he was playing terribly and more that his defense was completely hanging him out to dry. And then in the weeks leading up to the injury, he really seemed to find a stride. You know, he pushed his save percentage over back over, uh, I believe he got it up above 910, uh, which is pretty amazing considering he, he was forced to stay in for the entirety of that home opening laugher, uh, the 8-2 the to loss. It's pretty hard to help your stats recover after giving up eight goals in a game. Uh, but he was he was playing well, and if he can come back, yeah, he's he's not a great goalie, but he's a he's a good enough goalie, and yeah, I think he's I think he's fine. Uh, obviously, he's not a long term solution though, and you you pointed out Carter Hart. Hart recently is playing a bit better. He had a really strong game, uh, I believe it was Sunday, Saturday, one one of the days this weekend against the uh, the Toronto Marlies. Uh, but he's off to kind of a slow start, so you don't want to. 
you don't want to call him up until until he's shown that he can excel in the AHL. You know, maybe he doesn't have to have you know, sparkling numbers, but you want to. If, if the guy has a, a sub 900 save percentage in the AHL, it's not fair to him to call him up to the NHL, which is is even harder because he's clearly not ready. But yeah, I think if he if if he strings together you know a month or two of strong play and the stats start getting better, yeah, maybe maybe he's a he's a guy who who you can call up. But you just need to see a little bit more from him in the AHL before you uh, you rush him up to the uh, the NHL. It's just, it's just not fair to him if he's not playing well enough to justify. On the offensive side, right now, I guess the Flyers are fourth from the bottom in goals scored. Um, do you see moves there? Uh, you know, Voracek's name keeps popping up. Simmons' name certainly keeps popping up. Um, I, I'm, I'm a fan of both of those guys, especially Wayne Simmons. Uh, you see moves coming and, and any blockbuster kind of thing that would affect those kind of players? Well, the Simmons situation is interesting because – the question is, is what they're going to do with him. His contract expires at the end of the year. And I, I have to say, I don't think they're going to trade him right away if if they decide to trade him, just because I think Fletcher is still figuring out what he wants to do with Wayne Simmons. I mean, if he decides he wants to resign Wayne Simmons, obviously they're not going to trade him. They're going to work on agreeing to a long-term extension to keep him in Philadelphia beyond this year. If Fletcher, after a couple of weeks, decides, I think I need to move on from this guy, then, yeah, I could easily see Simmons being the guy that gets traded because, you don't, you know, it would, it would function – it would do two things. It would shake up the core, and it would also get assets back for a guy who you're not going to be – who's not going to be on your team past this season. So that could happen – you know, Voracek, he, he said it. He doesn't have a no-trade clause, so if you're really looking to shake up the core, maybe he's a guy you look to move. But he does have a massive contract, so uh, so that kind of limits the amount of teams that might be able to uh, to add him. He's a, you know he's 29 years old. He's got I believe six five or six years left on his deal. So a team that wants him would you know there, there are some teams that just aren't going to want a guy like that. They're not going to want to take on that kind of commitment. So that kind of cuts down on the amount of teams that could be interested, but. Yeah, he's still a good player. He's still, I'm sure, he would have value around the league, especially for teams that are really pushing to to win now and have some cap space. Um, if if they make a move though, in the short term, I have to think it might have something to do with the, the third line center spot because they never really resolved that. You know, they had Mikhail Vorobiev in that spot to start the year. He got sent down. They tried Jordan Wheel there. He was okay, but they didn't seem terribly impressed. He wasn't scoring a lot. Now they have Scott Lawton there. They just never really solved the third-line center problem uh, that they hit last offseason having. That could be a, a spot where maybe Fletcher looks to bring in a guy via trade. Uh, so I, I think if, if they look to add, it's probably to solve the 3C issue. If they're looking to sell, Simmons makes the most sense if Fletcher decides that he's not going to resign him. Gotcha. But, well, as a follow-up to that, um, Wayne Simmons coming out in the first – three minutes uh, out there in Pittsburgh and taking on the, the biggest man in the Valley and, and holding his own. Is that uh is that a typical Wayne Simmons leadership type situation that he's a guy that, uh, you know, if you do move him for some reason that you're really hurting your, your uh, dressing room. You know, there's absolutely something to that. And, and Wayne Simmons is the kind of guy where you know, everybody who, play, who, who plays on his team loves him. Uh, fans love him, and they love him for things like that. You know, he dropped the gloves with a guy who had five inches and at least 70 pounds on him because he knew that would spark the team, and it did. And it hurts to lose a guy like that. But the one thing I will say is that, you know, everybody worries about leadership and, you know, okay, well, what will happen if you trade Wayne Simmons? What's that going to do to the leadership core? What's that going to do to the intangibles? And, Quite frankly, the hard truth is that this team under this leadership core hasn't won anything. So I'm sure he's a great leader and, and his, his teammates love him. But, you know, when, when your leadership core isn't driving your team to actual legitimate on-ice success, it's fair to wonder, like, just how useful is that leadership core? It's a different story if you're winning cups. If you're winning championships and you're winning divisions, then you could say, okay, well, there's an intangible value to keeping a guy around like Wayne Simmons. But when it's not manifesting itself in actual positive results, it's just, you know, you don't know if maybe they would be better off with building under a different leadership core because this one isn't driving the team to the kind of results they're looking for. So that's not to say anything bad about Wayne Simmons. I'm not saying he's a bad leader. It's just that, you know, it's, it's not as if this leadership core has, 
has succeeded to a degree that, that the Flyers would deem acceptable. So I don't know if that's the reason why you keep a guy, you know, to keep a leadership core together that just hasn't produced the kind of results you want anyway. That Charlie, is, I, know you're, point. I, point. I know you're an Eagles fan as well, Charlie. What is your prediction for Sunday's game in Dallas? <laughs> well, I, I guess as a Philadelphian, I, I, I'm concerned, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll be optimistic. I'll, uh, I'll say they win 24-20. Uh, I'll take that. Hey, Charlie, I wanted to mention we have uh, Phillies reporter Megan Montemuro on the show with us tonight as well. And I asked her for some intel on you, not knowing how often you guys at The Athletic ever actually see each other, if at all. And she <laughs> said she only met you once, but that you seem like a real nice guy. And I just thought I'd mention that. And I agree with her. You do seem like a nice guy. <laughs> that's, 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 that's nice. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, Charlie, before we let you go, uh, you're a busy man at, with The Athletic. You also do some podcast work, too, I believe. Uh, how can listeners find your work and um, let and find out about you? I do, I do. So I, I do write for the Athletic, uh, the, the subscription-based site, um, and I am on the uh, the BSH Radio podcast, which records uh, unless there's a game that gets in the way. It records every Monday night, and it's usually posted on BroadStreetHockey.com uh, the next morning uh, on Tuesday morning. So uh, if you subscribe to that, you can, uh, you can listen to my thoughts in podcast form uh, on a weekly basis. We'll Fantastic. check it out. Well, Hey, Charlie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking the time and your busy schedule and uh, let's do it again. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much guys. Thanks Charlie. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Time for me to tell you all again about the Irish Rover station house in Langhorn. You know, by now they have daily lunch and dinner specials and happy hour deals. They also have a free buffet Friday nights at 11 p.m., which is pretty darn cool. In addition, there are always 24 beers on tap, something for everyone. A couple of big events coming up this Thursday evening. Bring some non-perishable food to donate because it's a give a can, get a Guinness night, a pint of Guinness Blonde, that would be. Then on Thursday the 20th, 7 p.m., the Irish Rover will host an ugly sweater party with prizes awarded and Miller Lite specials. Again, that's on the 20th. It's the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn. Find them on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hey, Chad, let me get a clarification there. A can for a pint? I think that's what it is. That's the ad I saw. That's a good deal, huh? Bring a can of food, and you get a pint of beer. <laughs> you, you get your winter coat, you load your pockets full of kids. Yeah. Great deal out there at the Irish Rover Station House. Chad, the Eagles picked up a much-needed win Monday night against the depleted Redskins. 28-13, moved back to 6-6, six and, six, and the Cowboys are looming. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, man, you know, the way the season's gone, we should be really happy that the Birds still have a legitimate shot at the postseason heading into week 14. It took them to this Monday night to win two straight games. Yeah, I know they're just still 500, but they also are a mere one game out of first in the NFC least and would move into the top spot based on the tiebreakers with a win over the Cowboys this Sunday afternoon. They've even got a shot at the wild card spot, surprisingly, thanks to losses by three or four of the teams slightly ahead of them this past weekend. But they've got to win Sunday because the two games after that are going to be very difficult ones. Yeah, and I tell you, um, let me ask you, what was your take on Monday night? It seemed a little um, uh, nonchalant. I don't, I don't know what the right word is. It uh it never looked like you actually had complete control of the game until in the fourth quarter, and by then the, the Redskins were about dead. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the way the game was going, the Eagles should have won that one like you know, 45-10 to 10 or 45-13 or whatever. Um, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, there were obviously a couple of key mistakes by Carson Wentz. He missed a couple of passes, and that interception down you know, inside the 10-yard line was very, very bad. That, that hurt a lot. Uh, the 90-yard run that the defense gave up to Adrian Peterson, that certainly hurt. But beyond that, the defense played well. But, yeah, I know what you mean. It just seemed like the Eagles should have been blowing them out, and it was still competitive into the third quarter. But, yeah, I know what you mean. But bottom line, they got the, one, the win. They did what they had to do, and now it's all about Dallas. 
Yeah, and your boy Golden Tate had a nice game, picking up seven catches for 85 yards and a touchdown. That was nice. Zach Ertz, you think we heard enough about him from uh, Jason Witten and that bunch about Zach Ertz? My goodness gracious. Yeah, well, let's not get started on the announcing crew. I mean, you know how most people feel about those three guys. So uh, we could talk about those guys for a half hour. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you one other thing I, w- I did want to point out is I thought that Darren Sproles, even though he just had four carries, uh, I thought he brought a little juice to uh, to them in just that little bit. Little And, and the uh, touchdown run was really nice and a fantastic job by Jason Kelsey, who played really well as well. Yeah, I thought the old line played very well as a whole. I mean, Lane Johnson, I think, had a very good game also. Uh, yeah, Kelsey was real good. Sproles, uh, he only had, like you said, a few carries, but – couple of nice ones, including the touchdown run. He looked like the Darren Sproles of old on that one. What I really liked about the offense in general was they got everybody involved. I mean, three or four different running backs. They spread the ball around with the receivers. It wasn't just Zach Ertz. It was also Golden Tate. Alshon and Aguilar had a couple of catches that were important along the way. So I really liked the way they spread things around, and I think that's what they got to keep doing going forward. Chet, I have to ask you this. Uh, I'm a little perplexed at the Philadelphia Eagles fan base as you look on the social media sites that are taking all these shots at Carson Wentz. What what am I missing that all of a sudden this guy is suspect, um, you know, and, and, and he's not all that, and they, let's run him out of town kind of thing. I, I'm missing something. Well, I mean, look, they did it with every quarterback who was here for a while. They did it back in the Randall Cunningham area. They did it with uh, Donovan McNabb, obviously. He wasn't a fan favorite much of the time. I thought Carson Wentz was going to be the exception, especially after the year he had last year. But this year, you know, he hasn't been perfect, and the Eagles are 6-6. and And so, yeah, he is getting some of the criticism. I don't get it either. I mean, he's in his third year in the league. He's coming off a major injury. Cut the guy some slack. He hasn't been bad. He hasn't been the guy he was last year, but he hasn't been awful. Yeah, he made a couple of McNabb-like throws the other night, but uh, he's okay. Believe me, he's going to be around for a long time, and he's going to be better next year, I promise you. Yeah, well, I mean, you take away the interception at the goal line, which was, was certainly a mistake. 27 of 39, 306, two touchdowns, and that one interception. Uh, you know, what, I don't know what you're looking for if you're not happy with that. No, a couple of bad passes, like I said, but he also made several great passes. I heard on the radio, I think it was Miss Anelli who mentioned that it was his best game in terms of passing yardage outside the pocket. He several times scrambled outside of the pocket and made some great downfield throws where he was like directing guys, you know, where to go. He was really good outside the pocket and making connections. So, yeah, give him a break. Don't be so hard on the guy. They they won a game that they had to win. Cut him some slack. Yeah, and as you said, the, the, and you're dead on, I think, is the offensive line played well. Well, that's a direct relationship to your quarterback playing well. When you have time to throw the ball, or even if he's got to break the pocket, they're continuing to block to give him some, some space uh, to throw the ball, uh, you're going to be better. It, it, it all starts up front, and as we've talked about a bunch of times before, that hasn't been all that great this year, but they were pretty good the other night. Yeah. yeah. Big game Sunday. Uh, hey, uh, one thing that you're probably a little more up on than I am right now, what, what's the injury report looking for, looking like going into Dallas? Is there anything new to that that's come up? I haven't heard anything new. Usually they update that on Thursday, so we'll get all that information tomorrow. But from – you know, the, the scuttlebutt, if that's the word I could use. Uh, I hear Jalen Mills is probably going to play, so that's a good thing. The other guys are still more in a questionable state. Uh, haven't heard anything new on Jernigan. Haven't heard any updates on, like, Avante Maddox and those guys. So Jalen Mills is the most likely to play out of that bunch. And, you know, hey, everybody helps at this point. Uh, you Absolutely. They need to be healthy, and this is the one. This is the one that they have to have uh... – or then you can certainly write off the season, but this is the one that they must win. You got it. All right. Well, hey, Chad, if you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. Yeah, you know, Bill, it is true. One of the best benefits of having an Allstate Insurance policy is getting a local agent. 
a local agent like Dave Lavoy who's dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. You can click on the Allstate banner on our Philly Press Box Radio website or call Dave directly, 610-430-0700. That is Dave Lavoy at Allstate Insurance in Westchester, 610-430-0700. And I'm going to play some music for you right now. Oh, I know you are. I'm trying to hit the button. Here it goes. Come on. I, I have to hear it. We can't go into the next segment without There you go. And it's fantasy football time with our resident expert, fantasy football expert, technical guru. Not so good at picking t- games. But anyway, welcome back, Fred Hugo. <laughs> Yo, what's up, guys? How you making hey, out? Fred. How much fun was Sunday, by the way? Sunday was a blast. It exceeded my expectations how fun it was. The crowd was rocking. We had a whole live, exciting game going on behind us, too, and, and we still had them engaged. So yeah. it worked out great. I thought it was great. Yep. Yeah, and, and a lot of great feedback, Fred. We I think uh, I know I've gotten. I think you guys probably have, too, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. We appreciate you doing all you did to make that happen. Oh, no problem. I, I love it. I'm glad you guys give me the opportunity to do it with you. All right. Well, hey, let's talk some fantasy football. Let's go. So there's some major injuries slash suspensions this week. We all know about Kareem Hunt. You probably grabbed Spencer Hare wear off the waiver wire last week. Um, we also got James Conner is out this week. So Jalen Samuels is, is a great pickup if you if you lost Conner for the Steelers. Matt Breida of the 49ers is out, so Jeff Wilson is is his replacement. Melvin Gordon is out, and so Austin Eckler, or even the third running back there, Justin Jackson, he had eight carries, 67 yards, and a touchdown last week. He was electrifying, as they say. Maybe another guy you can grab um, off the waiver wire. As far as who I like this week, I absolutely – he's had a – down last few weeks, but I absolutely love Aaron Rodgers this week. He's freed from Mike McCarthy, who he supposedly hates, <laughs> and um, uh, he has a great match against the Falcons. I think Rodgers, Rodgers goes off this week. I like Ben Roethlisberger at the Raiders, and then I also like Josh Allen against the Jets. He's a, If you do the daily fantasy, like the FanDuel or the DraftKings, Josh Allen is very cheap, and he has a great matchup against the Jets. Um, as far as running backs go, I love James White this week against the Dolphins. They're a poor running back fantasy defense, so I love James White. I like Austin Eckler, as I spoke about a little bit earlier, against the Bengals. The Bengals' run defense is, is horrific. And then if he's healthy, Kerryon Johnson against the Arizona Cardinals is another great matchup. Even if Johnson doesn't play, I, I would start LeGarrette Blunt or Riddick as well in a pinch because you're probably going to get a touchdown out of one of the two. As far as receivers go, Michael Thomas, he's had a few down weeks. The Saints offense really loved him. The first time Drew's been spreading it around or off of him, but he had two down weeks. I think this is the week he comes back against a a bad Buccaneers secondary. Uh, Chris Godwin going on the other side of the ball for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I like him against the Saints. And then this guy you can also grab on the waiver wire. In the last two weeks, he's had nine catches, 206 yards, and three touchdowns. His name's Dante Pettis, for the wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. Him and Nick Mullen seem to be connecting, and it seems like what the, the, from what I've been reading and looking at, the defenses are trying to focus on stopping George Kittle, so they're rolling the safety down and Pettis is getting all the targets. And also, on top of that, the Broncos cornerback Chris Harris is out. So that might be a great pickup if if you need a receiver. Um, As far as tight ends go, I like Eric Ebram against the Houston Texans. And then I also like Jared Cook against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cook's basically getting all the targets in Oakland because there's really no one else there on offense but him. Defensively, the Bills defense matched up against the Jets. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Even if it is Sam Darnold, he hasn't played in three games. He's going to get up to speed. It's just a mess, that offense in New York. Love the Bills' defense this week. 
And then I like the uh, Giants defense against the Redskins. They're going against Mark Sanchez and just a injury depleted team. So as far and that's yeah, I, I stopped doing the kickers. So that that's all I got for fantasy. Who I like this week. All right, Fred. That gets us to our predictions and ooh, Chet. We still stink. Yet another and, wonderful uh, weekend. We did. <laughs> so let's embarrass ourselves yet again this week. What's our uh, here? Record? We go. You and Fred were both one and three. Yes, the Eagles <laughs> game was the only one you got right. Well, my made while drinking pick of the Chargers over the Steelers panned out, so I was two and two. That means, Bill, you and I are now tied for the lead at 24 and 25. Yes, we are a game under oh. 500. And Fred is still just two games back at the top spot. He's at 22 and 27. Those are the numbers, sad but true. Sad but this is so true. awful. It really is. It is. Well, it, okay, so here we go if we have to do this, okay? I left this to only three games, so we can't get that many wrong. What most we can get wrong is three this week. Giants are at the Redskins. Giants minus three and a half. Uh, and I picked this one because it intrigued me by the spread. The Rams are in Chicago against the Bears, but the Rams are just a three-point favorite. I'm wondering about that. Then, of course, the Eagles go to Dallas. Uh, with Dallas minus three and a half in a must-win game for the Birds. So, Fred, Giants hit the Redskins, Giants minus three and a half. That spread started out as the Redskins favored, and so many people in the betting public are taking the Giants that it's moved all the way to three and a half. That typically means that the Giants are going to win and cover. On top of that, the Redskins, their quarterback Sanchez, they have injuries all over. I like the Giants in that one, definitely. Yeah, I, nothing more to say. Mark Sanchez, Giants win. Well, and besides Mark Sanchez, he lost about another half a dozen players. The Redskins are depleted. They have they have no chance against the Giants, actually. I don't see. How about this one? Rams at the Bears. Rams minus three. Um, I, I don't see how this is such a close game, but that's why I threw it out here. Let's talk about it, Frank. Well, let me let me tell you. I, I looked at that, and I saw, yeah, it's still minus three in a couple of places, but it's also minus four and a half now in some other ones that I checked. So either way, I thought it would be more than that. I mean, the Rams are a much better team, and the Bears have – issues right now their quarterback is still iffy so what do you think fred yeah i agree with you i don't know i don't i didn't check what the weather would be i don't know if maybe they're looking at uh, the bears defense and them being in the cold but uh, maybe the the bears cover but i don't even see that i i this could be a sucker pick but i i, I'm, I think the rams win by 10 plus their offense is just too powerful and then on top of that you don't even know who the quarterback is and even if it's trubisky He's been out the last few weeks, so it's going to take some time. So, I like the Rams. Yeah, I don't know what Vegas is looking at here, but I'm taking the Rams to cover also, win and cover. Oh, yeah. And I'm with you, Fred. I'm thinking this should be big. I I'm, I was a little confused. Uh, I thought maybe there was something I didn't know about. All right, Eagles at the Cowboys. Cowboys minus three and a half. As we said, must win for the Birds. And, and actually, probably close to a must win for the Cowboys, too. they got to stay out in front. Yeah, I agree. Both sides. It's a must win for both sides. I uh it's this is pretty cool. It's a playoff games go until the end here for the Eagles, so we get we gotta win. I to touch on what you were talking about the injury report though, Chet, it's actually Peterson today said Jalen Mills is a little gonna be a little longer. He didn't oh. commit to a time, but he said Jordan Hicks and Avante Maddox were day to day. So he wouldn't commit to them playing, but he was I don't know, if you read between the lines, it sounded like they both may play. Okay, I I don't have a good feeling in my stomach about this game in general. Just if if because Dallas they switched their offensive line coach and they're committing to running the football, so that's a change which it benefits them. But I I just don't, I just I'm waiting for Carson to have one of them games, and I I think it's going to be be this Sunday night. I think Dak's going to turn the ball over. He practically gave the Saints game game away. I don't know how the Saints didn't capitalize on that. So. I'm going to take the Eagles to win this in a close one, fourth quarter, maybe like a 24-21 type game. All right, don't kill me, but I'm going with my head on this one, and I am picking the Dallas Cowboys to win this game. God, I hope I'm wrong. I have it Dallas 23, 
Eagles 17. Remember week one, I picked Atlanta to beat the Eagles too, and I was gladly wrong about that. So let's hope it happens again. I'm picking the Cowboys, however. <laughs> well, at least I know I'll get back in the lead. All right, we're going Eagles. And, Fred, you're exactly right. Dallas is trying to run the football, uh, but I believe that that advantage Eagles if the Eagles' defensive line plays their game. That's their strength. Jordan Hicks would be certainly help if he's available. Um, force them to throw the football, and I think that's advantage Eagles as well. Stop the run game. Elliott's the key. Stop them. Eagles' offense is going to have to make plays. Those linebackers they have are playing really good. Um, so the Eagles' offense is going to have to move the ball. But I, I believe stopping them and stopping the Dallas running game is the key. I think you're right on, Fred. Chet, good luck. You're out. Maybe Love Vote will be on. I hope I'm wrong. Maybe Love Vote will be on. All right, Fred. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thanks again for Sunday, and uh, let's do it again next week. All right, sounds good. Go Birds. Thanks, Fred. You know it. Well, hey, Chet, let's give a shout-out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page. So people can take a chance on winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Phillies teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC 118 Razroom. That's right. It's PPCC 118 Razroom on Facebook. Hey, Chet, the Phillies made a splash this week, and hopefully it won't be the last. Oh, there's more to come. I promise you that, Bill. Definitely more moves. Well, you had a chance to sit down with the athletic uh, Phillies reporter Megan Montemuro yesterday, and what's Megan's take on the trade, and what does she see in the future? Well, I'll tell you, uh, who doesn't love the Segura trade, first of all? The big question is what's yet to come in terms of Harper or Machado, maybe a new starting pitcher. Let's find out what Megan thinks. Here's my chat with Megan Montemuro, which occurred, by the way, right about the time the Patrick Corbin to the Nats deal was going down yesterday. She covers the Phillies for The Athletic, making a return visit to Philly Press Box Radio. Megan Montemuro. Hey, Megan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, lots going on this week with the Phillies, so let's get to it. Big trade on Monday, the Phillies acquiring all-star shortstop Gene Segura and a couple of relievers from the Mariners in exchange for J.P. Crawford and Carlos Santana. The consensus seems to be the Phillies definitely got the better end of this deal. What's your take? Yeah, I would agree in particular because they didn't have to take on any money of Carlos Santana's deal, and they were obviously in a tough spot, and they unloaded two guys that really didn't fit the roster as it's been constructed and didn't really seem to have good plans for them going into 2019. Obviously, moving Reese back to first base became a big priority for them after the struggles in left field. And once they kind of committed to that idea and realized you know, that that was important for them to make that change, Obviously, Carlos became much more expendable. And then you look at Crawford, and I think it was pretty telling that once he was back healthy that they preferred playing Kingery at shortstop over him. So at that point, I think it kind of gave a little glimpse of how they prioritized the two of those guys. So I think all in all, plus, you know, they got two relievers, which is always ideal to add arms. Yeah, I think they did well in the deal. Segura has been traded a few times already in his career, and he reportedly had an issue or two with teammates in the Mariners' clubhouse. Is he a good guy? Yeah, so during the conference call, Matt Klintak was asked about that, and he said they looked into it, they did their research, and they said that they feel comfortable that they're adding somebody that you know won't be an issue in that regard. So he didn't sound concerned about that. You mentioned the Phils got a couple of relievers in the deal. A returnee, Juan Nicasio, pitched briefly for the Phils in 17. And lefty James Pazos. I know Nicasio had a knee issue much of last season, but he's supposed to be at or near 100% in March. Where do they fit in with the Phils' bullpen? I think you're adding just more options. I mean, I think for any bullpen that you're trying to build, there's going to be injuries. There's guys that aren't going to be good or as good as expected from year to year. So I think you're adding depth. You're adding another lefty, and you're giving yourself more options going into spring and allowing yourself to kind of mix and match and see what kind of bullpen you can build. So I think, yeah, I think it was a good move adding some depth in that area, um, especially when you kind of look at what bullpen they're bringing back. It 
certainly doesn't hurt to increase competition in that regard. You wrote a great piece on Monday, Megan, about Carlos Santana. You noted that he was pretty much the guy they thought they were getting 11 months ago, but he was simply not a great fit, mainly because his arrival sent Reese Hoskins out to left field. You alluded to that earlier. So how important was it to be able to move Santana this offseason so Hoskins could return to first base? Yeah, I think it was pretty important. Klintak mentioned it kind of in his first comments when he talked to us reporters and he mentioned that it was important to get Reese back to first. And again, I mentioned it in the story that fans have very uh, intense opinions on the Santana signing. I still think it was the right move at the time. There was no harm in hoping that Reese could handle left field. The Phillies as an organization have had guys in left field that haven't been great defensively, um, but the offensive productivity makes up for it. But Reese just struggled so much and the team defense was so bad that I think it just got to the point where they couldn't ignore that anymore. So I still think it was a good signing. Like I said, he is what they thought he was going to be for the most part. He struggled in April, but over the last five months of the season, he was right at his career averages across the board. And again, I I don't know if, you know, would they have pursued and and signed Arietta like they did in March if they didn't commit to Santana in the off season? I don't know. Would the Phillies have been as appealing of a destination if they hadn't signed him? Because, you know, they were clearly showing they're willing to commit and bring in better players. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think this negates that it was a good move at the time, but I do think it says a lot about the front office that they were willing to move on at the realization that at this point it doesn't fit like they hoped it would. Okay, the big question, as we speak Tuesday afternoon anyway, the two big-name free agents, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, are both still out there. Will the Phillies land one or both? And if it's Machado... Would he be willing to play third base? How's it going to play out? I think if they're really motivated to do it, Middleton's made pretty clear that he's willing to spend money, and it would be hard for other teams to match what the Phillies could offer in terms of value in a contract. So I would be surprised if they don't. But in terms of either one of those guys, in terms of Machado, I do think it kind of sends a message that, hey, if you want to come play for us, you know, you're, you might not get to play shortstop. And I think the reality is, in Machado's case, um, which is very similar to what happened to Alex Rodriguez when he signed his big contract, was that he probably wouldn't stay at shortstop for the entire duration of his contract anyways, especially if it's a seven-, eight-year deal. He probably would have to move to third base at some point during the contract. So I don't think it necessarily rules them out. If anything, I think it just kind of makes a point for them to say, hey, we're not going to wait around for you. We're, we're going to improve our team as we see fit. I still think Bryce Harper is the better fit. Um, I think he's more of a true superstar talent, and clearly they have openings in the outfield now. But I do think they should land one or the other. Megan, as we talk on Tuesday afternoon, there are reports that the Washington Nationals are going to sign Patrick Corbin, a crazy six-year deal, $130 million or more. This for a guy who is 56 and 54 in his career, by the way. With Corbin off the market, might they consider bringing back 36-year-old Jay Happ to Philadelphia or the former Houston Astros southpaw, Dallas Keuchel? And would they be willing to spend big money on a Dallas Keuchel? I'm kind of fascinated to see how that plays out because You know, since Andy McPhail came in during 2015 as team president, he made pretty clear that he does not like signing those kind of long contracts for starting pitchers. And, you know, he noted that sometimes you have to bite the bull and make an exception, but they've made clear that they would not be opposed to adding a lefty in the rotation because they haven't really had that in a while now. And we'll see if they get another guy in the bullpen like an Andrew Miller or Zach Britton or someone else. Hey, Megan, the last time we talked, it was August 1st, and the Phillies were in first place in the NL East and 11 games over 500. We know what happened over the next two months. I know there's going to be several different players here next spring, but will the holdover guys and the manager be able to use what happened in August and September as a learning experience? I think so. I mean, you look at the team, it was a very young team. For most of the year, it was the youngest team in baseball. And so I think you can only learn from an experience like that. That's something that Hoskins talked about late in the season. Obviously, everyone was disappointed about how that final month went. But for a lot of those guys, even Hoskins, Williams, like that was their first full season in the big leagues. And I don't think you can discount kind of what kind of toll that takes and the adjustment it can take for guys to learn how to adapt and handle that. And I know, you know, the Braves were also a young team, but – guys react differently so if you're the Phillies you just have to hope that 
those guys learn something from that experience and that, you know, there's no carryover from that last month into 2019. How soon should we expect news on Machado and or Harper? I, I mean, it's really hard to say. They kind of control the market of that at this point. For one person in the industry speculate that maybe a decision wouldn't be made before Christmas, but um, I saw a report today that Harper has met with and is lining up meetings to meet with teams this past week or so and going forward. So honestly, it's hard to say because it's going to be kind of on them to decide how quickly they want to make a decision. All right. I love all the hot stove talk. Read her in The Athletic and follow her on Twitter, M underscore Montemuro. Megan, thanks for taking some time once again for Philly Press Box Radio. You're welcome. Hey, Trent, great stuff. Megan is great. She's got her finger on the pulse, uh, absolutely, of the Phillies. But, you know, something I'm curious about, we're talking about all the ads. I'm, I'm kind of interested in the subtracts. Who's not going to be here? Yeah, well, we don't know yet. I mean, obviously, if they get like a Madison Bumgarner, who they're talking about now, they would have to give something up. I don't know if they want to give up some of the younger prospects or maybe just, you know, Cesar Hernandez and somebody else. But uh, some guys are going to leave, that's for sure. Well, can't wait, can't wait to see how it plays out. All right, should we talk a little hoops, Bill? What do you think? Yeah, let's talk some hoops. Oh, we need some music first. Music, music, music. You know it. That's become going to be the theme song this year, Chet. That's for sure. The Sixers picked up another win Sunday night, beating the Grizzlies. They're 13-1 and one at home. Yes, there's Markel Fultz news again, and it isn't good again. And the Sixers get ready to play again tonight. Yeah, uh, regarding Fultz, the official diagnosis, as you know, and the skeptics are out there, I know, on social media, is that Fultz has neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome, TOS, which affects nerves between the neck and shoulder, resulting in abnormal functional movement and range of motion. He's out indefinitely. I heard a report it might be like three to six weeks, though. Uh, But, hey, the Sixers are doing just fine without him. They are facing a big test this evening with that game up in Toronto. As soon as we wrap up, I'm going to race to my television and watch that one. But uh, the Sixers are exciting, with or without Fultz. They're uh, playing well right now. Jimmy Butler has been a great fit, and uh, we may have to raise our predictions, Bill, because we predict, what, 46 and 48 wins. I think we're going to be low on that. Yeah, I, I think we are, too, and uh, I think we didn't know about Jimmy Butler, so no. maybe we give ourselves a little bit of a pass on that. But uh, the Marco Fultz thing is going to continue to be a story. Uh, maybe it'll go away at least for the next few weeks, but it'll be inter- interesting to see if he even comes back in place. Yeah, it will. And, uh, boy, I don't know. Brett Brown's talking, as we discussed on Sunday, like he has to say the right things. Like, you're not going to diminish the guy's trade value if you are trying to trade him. But at this point, nobody's going to take him while he's recuperating. So it's just going to be a wait-and-see thing. He's got to show that he is healthy again. And I'm just going to change my tune and assume that he is going to play for the Sixers again because they're not just going to trade him for what would be a low second-round pick. They're going to, I think, see this through and let him get healthy and, you know, in a month or so from now, get him back into playing, and hopefully he can contribute. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I think you, you use the number one pick on the guy. There's a lot of, a lot of ego that goes into saying I was wrong if you have to cut bait. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Looking forward to it, though. And uh, this is a big game tonight, and they'll keep on moving up the standings. I think they're only going to get better with Jimmy Butler. Oh, absolutely. He's fun to watch, and he's really bonding well with Simmons. They're the, the headband duo now. Uh, I don't know if I love the headband, especially on Simmons, but uh, eh, as long as they're happy together. They're playing great defense together, too, which is nice, because uh, D is important, as you know. So it's going to be fun to watch this team over the next few months because, like you said, they're going to get better as they play more and more together. And, uh, boy, I can't wait. Me neither. All right, hey, Chet, let's move on. Let's, uh, let's talk about who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable next week. And once again, you have no idea who I'm going to tell you about. But this uh, is a little Because different. I'm just the other guy. Yeah, exactly. You see how I <laughs> threw that in there tonight? <laughs> a little different next week, Bill. We have... 
three guests. Oh, Wait do you hear this. We're going to start with a tandem, including the guy who was with us ages ago. Show number six, early June 2014, when we were just nubiles here. He is an author and a humorist and a big-time Philly sports fan. Matt Goldberg makes a return. Along, along with Matt will be a co-author pal of his, our friend, Joe Valley. See where I'm going here? Yes, they wrote I a book. Do. They wrote a book together, and uh, it was a book about an incident that's that was uh, something that happened just about 50 years ago next week. So you see why I'm doing this. Anyway, guest number three is a Phillies fan and a very talented musician, a bass player extraordinaire from the bands The Peace Creeps and The Road Dogs, Roy Fisher. I'll explain that to you later, but he's a big Phillies fan. He's also a great musician. So little Phillies and music talk with Roy Fisher and Matt Goldberg and Joe Valley together live on the show next week, the 12th of December. Well, I'll tell you what, we got a lot going on, and uh, why not why not uh, mix up some other things, throw some other guys in there? It's good stuff. They're all Philly sports fans, and that's what brings us together. Yes, sir. With that, Mr. Chesco, do you, we only have a couple minutes. Do you have a quick parting shot? Well, you know, you told me we weren't going to have time for one tonight, so I didn't prepare anything. But let me just say this. We, we do this occasionally. We talk about the fact that it's frequently an exciting time in the Philly sports scene, and that's certainly the case right now. As, as I alluded at the top of the show, all four teams are, like, doing stuff right now. Three of them are playing. There's some drama with a couple of them, you know, with the Phillies. Uh, I'm sorry, with the Sixers, with Fultz, the Flyers, with all the changes they're making. The Eagles are in the playoff hunt. And the Phillies, who aren't playing right now, well, they're in the hot stove activity right now. And I still think we're going to get either Machado or Harper. I personally want to see them get Harper. I would love to see them get a Bumgarner or Jay Happ. Also, a couple of good left-handed pitchers. It would be nice to get a lefty back in the rotation. It's been a while. So certainly an exciting time here in December 2018 on the Philly sports scene. I love it. Yeah, me too. And I'll tell you what, Madison Baumgartner, would, uh, I'd love to have him as long as they don't have to overpay and sign him for 10 years or something ridiculous. Uh, he, I'd love to see him come to town. Well, hey, Chet, I, let, me, let me tell you ahead. one quick thing. I looked up their records. Believe it or not, Jay Happ has a record almost identical to Madison Bumgarner. In fact, he's a percentage point higher in the win and loss total. Jay Happ, in his career, 109-82. Madison Bumgarner, who's younger, 110-83. and 83. So Bumgarner has one more win, one more loss. Bumgarner does have a better ERA over his career, 3.03. Jay Happ at 3.90. But I'll tell you, I'd take either one of those guys. Jay Happ last year was 17-6. and six. He won okay. his seven games with the Yankees that he uh, you know, played for them. So... I'll take either one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wait, uh, Chet, I have a quick parting shot, and it's just a follow-up to my parting shot from Sunday. Uh, Freddie Mitchell didn't like my tweet uh, because I called him out for not showing up. Then I was trying to be nice about it. Well, after he cussed at me and after he called me an idiot, and Freddie said he doesn't do shows. He was never part of that show. (laughs) And um, so then I had to tweet him photos of the advertisements that had been out for a month showing his picture and showing his name and Freddie went silent. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he was trying to find the Oaks. Who knows? Anyway, that is funny. there'll be more. To, we'll be have more to come on that later on if Freddie responds. So with that, Mr. Chesco, we have reached the top of the hour. Let's thank our special guest. Charlie O'Connor, Megan Montemuro, and Fred Hugo. Our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118 Razroom, and Dave Lavoy of All State Insurance in Westchester, PA, for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chechesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, December 12th at 7 p.m., you can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blocktalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or you can find our podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn's, and Google Play Store. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Go Birds! <laughs>